The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize that they'll never see the peace <laughs> McLean, and this is Hater Radio for the last time for the 2019-2020 season. So this is it. This is the last episode till August. Um, you know, we're going to go over the season in this episode. Uh, definitely recap the Gators, recap uh, the championship game. Talk about some storylines that are going on right now, and um, we'll also uh, discuss the future for the Gators going ahead into this 2020 season next year. Uh, with that, I'd like to introduce Ian Gibson to the show, SEC Insider, Gator Insider. Ian, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, so let's go ahead and talk about first the... The, the championship game that just happened, LSU and Clemson, was there anything uh, that you saw that stood out or uh, about that game specifically? I, I watched most of it, but I wasn't like, I don't know, just I didn't, I wasn't that impressed with Clemson. Were you, what, what did you feel about the game? Yeah, the game, it was, uh, it had a great first half, but the second half was kind of, uh, like a days ago would be a good way to put it. Uh, LSU kind of just it seemed like they just wore Clemson down. Uh, they, they just, LSU just had too many had way more big plays up their sleeves than uh, Clemson had. It was almost like a role reversal from the first half where Joe Burrow was looking pretty shaky uh, in the first half, and Trevor Lawrence was right on cue, was on point. But then it, it like completely switched uh, sides. Uh, Joe Burrow was making big plays, and Trevor Lawrence was really starting to struggle. Overthrowing passes, not connecting to Joe Burrow. You know, as you've seen all year, was able to throw like 60 yard bombs on a dime, uh, no problem. And, it's, and that was the thing is that LSU just has more big plays than Clemson. Um, obviously, more big touchdown passes, uh, and the defense really stood up a really stout uh, Clemson uh, offense. Um, so I would say it was a bit of a surprise to, uh, to see this Clemson really not. I wouldn't say not fight, but at least show like the same fire they had uh, we've seen this season, especially against Ohio State too, when they had their back. 
Yeah, it, you know, it was funny. It was like they, they got it down to a three-point game, and then it was like uh, they um, they couldn't get over that hump. And uh, I think large part was a lot of erratic play from Trevor Lawrence. I just saw way too many incompletions, and um, I don't know. They, it just seemed like they, they weren't able to uh, – uh, counteract that LSU offense as well. Yeah, it looks like the LSU offense, that's, ironically, it's usually the other way around, but it looks like the LSU offense just overpowered the Clemson uh, defense that game. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, going forward, we'll talk about the the rest of the stuff, but let's let's first talk about um, the, the 2019 season for the Gators. Um, I know we have the article, and it'll be it'll be linked with this podcast. So if people do see listen to the podcast, they'll be on the same link as the the article. But go ahead and just give me your a, a quick a, a quick uh, synopsis of your thoughts on the Gators' 2019 season. Gators, but especially moving forward, 
this season should definitely be a very good uh, benchmark for them to compete for the next couple of years. Uh, because, I mean, if you can win that many games and only lose to Georgia, which was a close game, and LSU, who, again, was only by two touchdowns, even though that game was much closer than the score indicates, and then one of the best teams we've seen this, I don't know, millennium, uh, it definitely says a lot about the way, the direction the Gators program is going. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, like, the... You know, it, it's it's such a vast difference between where the Gators were at the end of 2017 and where they're at at the end of 2019. I mean, they were four and seven that year, fired their coach, and nothing was looking good. And even the years previous before that, the recruiting was not doing that well, and it seemed like they were on a downward trend. And Dan Mullen comes in and completely changes everything. You know, they've got all those facilities being made that are going to be there in the next year or two. And, um, you know, it's they're going to be able to recruit with everyone now. And they'll be able to get a lot of those five stars. And, you know, it, it, not only that is the results on the field. You know, they went 10-3 and three last year. They go 11-2 uh, this year. They had the same amount of losses as Georgia did the last two years. So even though they lost to them, they ended up with the same amount of losses. So that's telling right there that they're not that far behind Georgia. And, uh, you know, that's that's really the goal. You know, if you see it, anything like with what Urban Meyer did or what um, Steve Spurrier did in their years, the goal was always to beat Georgia. And Spurrier made that the most important goal. And that helped so much because if they beat Georgia, that almost guaranteed that they would make it to uh, Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And that has to be, honestly, more so than beating Florida State, you know, or whatever, or even winning the LSU game, because those games kind of don't really matter. Getting to the SEC championship game is the only thing that really matters and I know that's the goal next year. I mean, it it has to be the goal every year. But, like, if more so than any year that I've seen the Gators uh, trying to move forward, this is the year that they have to take that next step. Yeah, I remember when we, in that 2017 season, and that was when uh, Georgia, uh, I think that was when they were ranked number one and they went to the national championship. And that was a very good Georgia team. And it was definitely, you know, a precursor to see kind of their dominance in the SEC these past couple years. I remember they beat us 42-13, I believe, or something like that. Uh, they absolutely... 42-7. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was a blowout. I remember thinking to myself, it might take a while. We might be in Georgia shoes how we were in the 90s, where it was like, it might take a while to where we get to that level to compete with Georgia. And I especially thought, if you were to tell me after that game, it would be like, hey, we're at that level in two years. We are... We are right there with them. We just need to beat them, and we can very well do it. Uh, I, I would have told myself I was crazy, but we are definitely, you are right on all levels, uh, especially with the way things are looking for next year. Uh, it, it really is. The goal should be SEC, and especially the best way to punch that ticket in is to go down to Jacksonville and beat the Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, as far as the Gator defense, um, just give me a little uh, recap of what happened this year and then maybe what the, the projections are for next year for them. Yeah, the defense, it was much 
one consistency this decade, you know, has been the defense, ironically. It's been a complete 180 from, you know, what we're used to in Florida. But the defense has always been very strong. Uh, and this year was no exception. Once again, the defense kind of had uh, a kind of an offensive, same problem the offense had. A lot of players got injured, like I said, as far as Zuniga, uh, Jonathan Grenard was in and out of games. Then I believe uh, Marco Wilson was injured. CJ Henderson got injured, too, a couple games. Um, there are a lot of uh, problems on the defensive side, the injury-wise. Um, but once again, credit to you know the Gators, and especially Todd Grantham. That defense didn't buckle a lot. There were very few games where the only game I can really think was the defense was flat out, out you know, smoked out was against LSU. And again, that's acceptable because considering you know how good LSU was this year. And even that, they still held their own uh, more than probably some other teams. Uh, but this defense, especially, you know, the one thing I would say, it was the biggest what if, and I said this in this article, is that if Zuniga and Grenard stay healthy and they play all those games, how much of a difference does that make uh, for this season? Because, uh, you know, we saw how good the defense was without them, how good could they have been, you know, with them the whole season. Well, I mean, if you if you look at it, it's the the Miami game. You know, they had they had ten sacks. Yes, Miami's offensive line was horrible, but just imagine if they had Zaniga and Grenard the entire year. I, I they would have like outpaced everyone in sacks by at least like ten sacks. It would have been something crazy. Yeah, it, definitely, definitely. The the one thing about that though. Uh, it's kind of a yin-yang thing. It is disappointing, I would think, to not have these guys at full health this whole season. But it does show that the future looks pretty good. Um, off the top of my head, I can't name all the replacements uh, we had to get in there and all the substitutes um, we had to uh, put into the games this year. But the defense still held their own, even with these replacement players coming in. They still held their own against these very tough SEC teams and these uh, pretty well-done offenses. So it's a very good sign that the future is still pretty stable on the defensive side. Um, you know, even though we couldn't have our star players this year, next year we'll be fine. We'll still be good for next year because these guys still held their own uh, when they weren't, you know, expected to. Yeah. Um, have you uh, have you had a chance to look at the Gators' schedule for next year at all? Yes, I have. Uh, I'll talk about, I. Uh, I remember I uh, was saying, um, I kind of make, uh, what's a uh, super early prediction. Um, but, you know, the schedule, um, I had it where it was um, my, uh, you know, obviously when uh, next season comes around, I'll make my official prediction. But off the top, it was, uh, let me get it up here. Yeah, it was Eastern Washington, Kentucky, South Alabama, uh, Tennessee, South Carolina, LSU, Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia and Jacksonville, of course, Vanderbilt, Missouri, New Mexico State, and FSU. Um, I remember saying, uh, obviously, the two, of course, um, that to keep an eye on would be Georgia and LSU. Um, but I did say that if there was a trap game, I always pick a trap game every year. If there was one, I would say Ole Miss uh, because it is in uh, Oxford and, you know, Wayne Kiffin will be there. Uh, so that is definitely a game to look out on. But the thing is for next year is that this is the best chance the Gators have to taking that step to Atlanta because LSU, uh, Joe Burrow and a lot of their star players will be gone 
Uh, Georgia just lost Jake Fromm. He declared for the draft, and a lot of players are leaving for either the draft or, you know, are graduating. Uh, this is the best chance for the Gators to take that next step and go to the SEC championship and compete for a playoff spot. The opportunity is there. The window is there for them to really break through. Uh, and then the rest of the schedule, they should win these games. Um, if Because uh, the Gators are mostly getting a lot of their players back. So they are definitely the favorites of the SEC East, but I would say the two games to obviously keep an eye on are LSU and Georgia for next season, and the trapping would be Ole Miss. You know, it's funny, like, I, um, I've i been looking just, you know, uh, watching the, the end of the season and, like, certain trends, and, like, the one team that is trending very high right now at the end of the season is uh, Tennessee. And um, it's funny because it's like, the reason they're trending is because they had such an easy back end of the schedule. You know, their front end, they really performed badly, but they got lucky because they had, like, nobodies that they had to play against. Even in their bowl game was against Indiana, which is, like, the seventh best team in the Big Ten, you know, so they easily beat them. Uh, well, they, they didn't even easily beat them. They had to beat them, like, uh, doing an onside kick to be able to, to, be able to beat them. But that game... I don't know if it necessarily worries me next year because it's in Knoxville. Because um, for the most part, the last two years, Florida's like beaten them by 20-plus points. So Dan Mullen has Jeremy Pruitt's number. I don't know if it'll be a very hotly contested game. I've never really thought highly of Garantano. I, I don't think he's that good. He's performed rather poorly in a lot of games. Um, some people think highly of them. I don't get it. Uh, but that game could be crucial because that's, that's the opening game, really. I mean, what is it? Uh, I mean, I know they're going to play Kentucky at home, but I have a feeling they'll probably beat Kentucky pretty handedly next year. I mean, I know uh, Wilson is coming back, but... You know, how good are you after a knee injury? Are you going to be as fast as you were beforehand? I Probably not. Um, but um, I just think that that Tennessee game is going to be crucial because it's like, you know, they play Eastern Washington, K K Kentucky, and South Alabama all at home. So they should easily be 3-0, setting up a huge game against Tennessee on the road. And, you know, it's... It'll be, you know, it it'd probably have um, game day there. It'll probably be the marquee game, the SEC game of the week. And if they're able to win that game and set the, the tone for the rest of the season, you know, after that they go up against South Carolina and then LSU. And it, it looks like, I'm looking at it right now, their first five of six games are at home. So this is how favorable this schedule is, that they should start off very well. And um, I won't be surprised if they're not at least 5-0 and by the time they play LSU uh, at home. And then, like you said, that one against Ole Miss is definitely a trap game because, you know, Lane Kiffin, you know, he loves to be an asshole and he loves to be a stickler to the Gators. So... I know he would sure love to beat them, you know, because he's he. This may be his only shot at them the entire time he's at Ole Miss. Yeah, he's not at Tennessee anymore. 
Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, I, I, you know, it's funny. It's like um, I'm really excited about this season. You know, I think the one thing. Do you are you on Twitter at all? The the thing I see a lot is there are a lot of Gator fans on there. It just might be the ones I follow and the ones that pop up on my timeline. But a lot of them are very pro Emory Jones and like are favoring him more to be the starter. Um, what do you feel going into this spring ball? Um, do you think that it, it is up in the air? And that either guy has a chance, or do you think that Kyle Trask is solidified as the starter? I think, I would say, depending on that, you know, after the orange and blue game and all that, I would say, if it was me, I would say Kyle Trask is the number one right now. He proved himself this season going into the fire, and he had a very good season. He was very accurate with the ball, made great decisions. So I would say... I would put Kyle Trask at number one. Obviously, if he doesn't, if Emory Jones overperforms and just, you know, then Kyle Trask does very poorly, even then, I would still put Kyle Trask at number one. What they should do, um, and this Dan Mullen has experience with this, um, and he did do this this season, is do what he did in 06 with Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. Chris Leak was a pocket passing quarterback, and Tim Tebow was the running quarterback. So, when, and he did do that this season. He would sub in Emory Jones and Kyle Trask, and unlike most uh, other coaches, sport <laughs> with their mobile quarterbacks and just make him a running back, um, he would tell, okay, Emory, we're going to keep you in three plays, and you're going to throw the ball, and it completely confuses the defense, because then when they put him back in, they're like, well, is he still going to run it, or is he still going to throw the ball? That, if I was Dan Mullen, that's what I would do. Not have Kyle Trask as your starter, but make sure you have that defense off balance when Emory Jones comes into the game. Because it wouldn't be a guarantee that you would run the ball. Because we did see Emory Jones throw the ball, and he did do pretty well. I would say, I would still put Kyle Trask as a starter, but definitely have Emory Jones as kind of in a Team Tebow situation in 2006. You know, have him, you know, play a good amount of snaps and, you know, run the ball if he wants, but definitely make him pass the ball. A lot of those mobile quarterbacks do not like just being, you know, running the ball. That's what happened with Justin Fields. That's why I said Kirby Smart, because uh, all Kirby Smart did with Justin Fields when he would get subbed in was just make him run. He never threw the ball. But Mullen is smart enough to know, hey, Henry Jones is a quarterback. He can throw the ball. So I feel like if he did that, it'll be a very dangerous offense. Um, but, of course, I would not be against Emory Jones starting, um, definitely if he proves it. But for me right now, I would say Kyle Trask should be the number one guy. Yeah, and I would hope so just because of, um, uh, I mean, if you've looked at the numbers, I so there's a, there's a podcast, uh, shout out to those guys as well, Gator Nation uh, football podcast. It's a great podcast. If you ever get a chance, Ian, you should listen to it. It comes out every Monday during the season. They're they're on hiatus as well because, you know, the season's over. But they break down stuff very well. And um, the the one guy, uh, James Virgilio, he is a head coach for a uh, flag football team, a pro flag football team with Danny Warfel. 
And so, like, he's very smart, knows how to, you know, break down uh, quarterbacks. And so he always he's been talking about it for the last couple of years because I've been listening to their podcast how bad the quarterback play is. And he is, like, thrilled that right now the Gators have such a phenomenal quarterback. And, it, like, you can see it in the numbers. Like, the Gators haven't had over 300 yards passing per game in a long time. And, like, almost every game that Trask was in, he broke 300 yards passing. It was remarkable. I've, you know, I would – and to hear people say that um, uh, that they, they want Emory Jones – I understand it because Emory Jones, the way that he runs uh, and the way that he can handle the offense is more suited for what Dan Mullen is about. But the problem is, you know, you're you're overlooking the fact that Kyle Trask is a phenomenal quarterback and the vertical game is so much more uh, with him right now. He's just... He's able to make those passes, able to see those progressions. Um, I'm looking here now. He's got one, two, three. He had three games over 300 yards and one, two games where he was close to 300 yards. So he had almost five games where he was 300 yards or more. That's kind of ridiculous. We haven't had that. I don't remember the last time that. That's like Rex Grossman almost. Like that's how long ago it's been. Like I said, I feel like Trash should be the starting quarterback. But I definitely, you know, that like I said, that doesn't mean you can't use Emory Jones. And I feel like Dan Bowen knows that because he's done this before. He's been in this situation before. Um, in fact, it kind of parallels, too, because in 06, everybody was calling for Tim Tebow to kind of be the, you know, what, well, be the starter, I guess would be a good way to put it, and to get more snaps. Because I remember at the Kentucky game, like, uh, they used him a bunch of times, and they subbed back Chris Leak, and then they started booing the decision to put Chris Leak back, and that was Dan Mullen's decision. Yeah. Uh, but Mullen's been in this situation, literally this exact same situation before, so I feel like he knows how to, he'll know how to do it. Like I said, you know, just because you have traps at the start does not mean you can't use Emory Jones. If anything, I expect him to use Emory Jones more next season, even if he's not the starter. Because, like I said, that confuses the heck out of defenses when you insert a guy in there that they just expect run, 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 and you and then you tell Emory Jones, hey, we're going to run like a, you know, vertical route, pop it in there, we're going to, you know, we're going to let you, and that's the thing too, Dan Wolf kept Emory Jones a couple games on, on a complete series. Uh, it, it's not like this one play, one play game, people will keep him out there for multiple plays. So you don't, like I said, that will confuse defenses. You don't know whether he's going to pass it or run it, and that is a very effective yeah, and it, it's it's another interesting to to remember because last year um, in the 2018 season, if you remember uh, the Missouri game where Florida just played like crap and they they didn't have anything going, so Mullen uh, benched uh, Felipe Franks and Trask came in. Well, during that week of practice. Uh, Trask was going to be the starter and then he hurt himself and was out the rest of the year. If he doesn't hurt himself, he's the starter and then he's probably more than likely the starter in the beginning of the year. But it didn't happen that way. Felipe Franks ended up 
doing very well at that end of that season and then, you know, doing okay in the beginning of the year. I guess it was just – it it looked really bad in that Kentucky game because, like, honestly, I was very worried. And when he went down, I was just like, oh, great. I mean, I, I didn't really necessarily know how good Kyle was going to be coming in. But, I mean, you know, for him to, to one, uh, come in and then, two, just remarkably lead the team and just get them down the field and – you know, win that Kentucky game. It was, it, it that was the difference right there. Because like, if he if he goes to, if uh, Felipe Franks goes down in that game and they lose that game, the season could have been lost. And like you said, he was the savior. He completely changed that that season around because it, it could have been you know like a a seven win season if you know if they didn't if they didn't save that game. Right, because it's, you know, none of us Gator fans want any of our Gator players to get hurt. Never. Like, it's never, like, a thought in our minds. It's just, it happened to work in the Gators' favor in this instance. So, as much as it's something that, like, you don't wish an injury on any player, there's nothing you can do when it happens. So, it happened, and then, uh, you know, they... They were able to make the best out of it. Um, I think, honestly, the the thing that will be different next year, which I'm hoping for, is the fact that they'll have more um, uh, better offensive line play so that they're able to run the ball. I think being able to have a really good running game will be the difference. I mean, in 2018, they were able to run the ball. They just didn't have like a phenomenal passing game. It was it was good. It wasn't like phenomenal though. This this time the passing game was extremely well and the running game was non-existent. So if he can get both, you know, involved and become more of a balanced team, you know, it, it it'll make a huge difference when they're able to, you know, get to the fourth quarter and you know, they're they're able to run the ball down their throats. Instead of having to like run some gadget plays to get first downs, because some of the times the Gators would have to run some crazy ass plays just to win games because they they couldn't run the ball effectively, you know. Yeah, that was the thing too this season. Uh, I, I said that in the article too. It was the biggest. If I had to pick what the biggest you know disappointment out of a great season would be, it was definitely the run game. Although it's not on the running backs, uh, P line and Pierce. Um, they did when they got the opportunity. They made the most of it, especially Peter for the end of the year. Uh, he just 
tore it up. Uh, the problem was, as we said, and this is the one thing I was, you know, worried about, and unfortunately I was right, was the offensive line play. Uh, it definitely was a bit of a liability this year, the offensive line. Uh, they did good in the pass protection. Uh, they gave Kyle Trask a lot of time, at least enough time in the pocket most of the time. But, man, they just could not help out in the running game. They couldn't open the holes. They couldn't make the lane. There was just nowhere to go. And the only way the running back could have gone is the outside. And usually there was a linebacker just waiting there to swallow him up. Uh, but, like I said, that was the thing I did expect to happen this year. And, like I said, this is kind of like I said about the defense with all these young guys being inserted in. It is a very good teaching tool to say that, hey, our offensive line wasn't good and we didn't have much of a running game. Like I said, I think Dan Bowen said after the Kentucky game, he kind of didn't make the running game a priority anymore. Uh, and still win 11 games in the SEC. That is still a very good thing. So with how we know Dan Bowen, how well he develops players, uh, especially having the season under your belt, if, like you said, and I agree with you, if the offensive line is you know able to perform better, especially for the run game, and we have that running game there to complement the passing game, uh, it, it'll be a very tough thing for defenses to stop. Um, as far as the rest of college football, is there anything like any any storylines that you you think that stand out to you that we sh- we should be uh, we should be talking about for next year? I would say it's I, w- I mean this is a storyline that's been going on um, and I you know said it before um, I would say it's the college football playoff format. We almost had the exact same situation we had uh, happen again with this controversy uh, this year. If Utah doesn't lose to Oregon. It's up in the air between Oklahoma, Utah, and all that. It's the, the whole playoff format. It's it just, it, it's obvious that they're like, it's completely obvious there needs to be changed, especially when, you know, I always say it's ironic. I made a, uh, I think I made an article about this. I think it's my uh, uh, campus, uh, my uh, college uh, newspaper. It's ironic that they have it's the Power Five in college football at the very least: Power Five, Big Twelve, Pac Twelve, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and you only have four playoff spots open. So if you have all five, if you have five teams and those five conferences go undefeated, you what's the point? I mean, you're going to have to leave one out, and uh, the format almost guarantees that no group of five uh, school ever get in. It just won't happen. The best, like I say, as much as I don't believe they are national championships, they are national champions, the best example is UCF. They were undefeated. Credit the schedule wasn't tough, but they were undefeated, and they weren't even close to the playoff. It wasn't even close. I think the right thing to do would be go, you know, expand to an 18 playoff. You have your five conference champions, and that's the other thing, too. You need to make conference championships matter. Because, uh, like, that best example would be Ohio State in 2015, I believe, and uh, Alabama in 2017, where they didn't even, they weren't even in their conference championship, but they still went to the playoffs. You need to make conference championship games matter because they're literally just adding an extra game for no reason. Uh, so you should have it where, you know, you have your top five, your conference champion, and you have your three wild cards. You can have a group of five school, a pretty good school, like, say, like, Florida goes undefeated. They lose in the SEC championship, but they can still get in as like a 
Yeah, and I I totally agree. I mean, it's um, I mean we're we're heading towards an eight team playoff. You know, regardless of what people feel, you know about oh it's too many games or whatever. I mean, it just it would be it would be the the fairest way of dealing with it. I think if they did sixteen, it would be too much. You know, four is too little. I think eight is just right. I think that it gives enough teams in there involved. Um, you know, especially the ones that feel like they're they're up there. I know that the one versus eight matchup, you know, for the most part may not be the greatest matchup and may for the most part be a blowout. But, you know, you never know. And that's why I honestly, like, it's funny because, like, these last couple of years, a lot of, there's been a few semifinals that have been pretty bad, but I don't know how you can predict it. Like, you know, you never know with with football teams which team's going to show up. You know, you could have an amazing team, but if they don't show up, they could get shut out like one of those Ohio State teams against Clemson, you know, in the semifinals. So it's anything can happen. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to an 18 playoff because if that does happen – then we'll get possibly home playoff games, which could you imagine a playoff game in Gainesville at the Swamp? Oh, it would be crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that would be nuts, you know? Yeah, I'm definitely down for that. I remember um, <laughs> the best quote I've ever I've heard about expanding the 18 playoff, and one of the criticisms is that, like, well, it, one of them, it was uh, Rich Eisen on his uh, show. Uh, he's a uh, very big sports personality. He was talking about, I think, the 20 last year's playoff format. He was saying how it should be an eight team. And he made the argument that if you have eight teams, your first one should, we would be, yes, it would be Alabama and UCF. And somebody said, one of his uh, co-hosts said, yeah, but UCF's going to get blown out. And he said, well, show me instead of telling me. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I would want to see it. I would want to see that happen so we can end both sides of the argument. And it would be fair because it is definitely it, it's definitely top heavy uh, in the playoffs. Because, like I said, the format is made and to a point where there is absolutely no way any group of five school could get in. Uh, so, if you make it an eight team, you at least got to be fair to the other schools. I'm not saying that every year if you have an eight team playoff, a group of five schools should get in there. But like, if, like again, if UCF goes undefeated again and you have like a couple teams that lost two or three games up there, then yeah, give UCF, give one of those group of five schools a chance at least. Yeah, and I, I have no problem with that because it gives teams like, you know, my alma mater, USF, it gives them a chance to compete because right now they have no chance to compete. They're, they're not at the table. They can't compete for a national championship if they want to. You know, they're a second-class citizen. And regardless of how well they play, and if they go undefeated or whatnot, they don't have a shot at it. And it's very, it's very diminishing to a school like that where, you know, they may be able to get recruits, but they can't get any higher because they can't take it to the extent that Clemson or Alabama or Georgia or LSU or Florida can, you know? Like 
Exactly, because you know it, it. It almost makes it, you know, uh, wor- not worthwhile to even go to the the conference championship game, and it makes no sense. Exactly. Um, okay, so as far as your prediction for next year, what do you think the Gators are going to be doing? How, how do you think, like record-wise, what do you think they're going to end up? Ian's prediction. Ian, let me again thank you for joining us on this journey. Um, I really appreciate you providing these articles and calling in and providing the time because I know both me and you are not making money off this. This is obviously for the love of the game and we like doing this. You know, I I really do appreciate you being a part of this because it's uh, it makes what I'm doing so much more uh, reputable and respectable because there's someone else that wants to be involved with it. And, you know, we've got a website and we're moving and we're getting people to look at the articles. And then also, I mean, dude, my Twitter, uh, the Twitter handle for uh, Hater Radio went from 16 followers at the beginning of the season to now all the way up to 110. So... You know, it's it's slowly moving the needle, but I, you know, I'm glad that you're a part of it and you're helping me do this. Um, are are you are you willing to be here for next season? I will definitely be here for next year. You can definitely guarantee on that. That sounds great, man. All right. Well, I 
I've been glad to uh, get to know you over these last couple of uh, podcasts over the year. Um, it's going to be a break for a while, but um, I'll speak to you, uh, I guess, probably in like uh, July, early August time, okay? All right, Ian, Ian, you're welcome, man. I'm glad to have you. I will talk to you later, man. All right, have a good off season. You too, thank you. All right, buddy. And again, I just would like to thank Ian for being such a great asset to this Hater Radio team. You know, we're just getting started. You know, I honestly... I went through a couple of seasons and I've been trying to figure out how to best progress we could. And, um, you know, at the end of last season, I got a website and, you know, bit the bullet, spent some money, got the website. I re-upped it for next year. So I'm definitely doing next year because why would I pay that money for that website and not do it? Um, But uh, the website was huge. We could do articles, got people to the website. You know, we had some articles with 20 plus views, which doesn't sound like anything. But for us, it's it's a small increment that we're moving towards, uh, you know, um, bigger and better things. And like I said earlier with Ian, you know, we, uh, you know, we we went from like 16 14, 16 followers on Twitter to now we're up to 110. Like it's it's a huge difference night and day. Getting 100 follow 100 more followers is huge. Um, you know we're we're looking to uh, you know expand this and um, make this as big as we can. As of right now, I'm happy with the way things are going. Um, you know I would I would honestly like to have. Um, uh, someone that does Florida State articles and be call in for Florida State, but as of right now, I don't really have that, so I'm gonna have to just be lacking with what teams I uh, <coughs> talk about. And as far as approaching that, I don't. I'm not really knowledgeable of Florida State, nor do I want to be. So I would prefer to have someone else do that for me. I'm only really knowledgeable specifically about Florida and the SEC and college football in general. Uh, Florida State, I'm not really focusing on just because they've been bad for the last couple of years. But I would like to have someone, hopefully, if they get better. Because if they're better, then people are going to be wanting content and wanting articles. And I just don't have that right now. But, you know, uh, maybe going forward we'll have uh, more of that. Um, but yeah, like I'm just looking at the views from here, you know, from the, during the season, you know, the, the one article we had that got the most views, I believe was, um, either the LSU or the, uh, Georgia, Florida game. Yeah. I believe it's the Georgia, Florida game or Florida, Georgia, sorry, God forbid, Florida, Georgia game when we had, looks like it says 98 views and what was it? It was 24 views for the article. 
and then 98 total views of people viewing everything all together. And, you know, it's, um, I, I'm happy, you know, like I, <clears throat> it, I don't think it could have done any better. You know, I had a lot of people come to the website, you know, it's, it's, it's done pretty well and I'm happy with the way it's going. Um, the, the, the podcast, which is the whole reason behind this, uh, this endeavor is not done as strong. Um, it's very difficult to get people to listen to this stuff. You know, I've had, you know, occasionally ones where they've done well, but for the most part, most of them have not done well. I just like keep keeping doing it because I like talking about this stuff. And if someone hears my opinion, maybe they'll be interested in it. So again, this is Hater Radio. We are a college football podcast. My name is Chris McLean. Ian Gibson is our SEC insider, Gator insider. Um, we will be continuing next year. We look forward to hearing everybody, hearing from everybody. Um, HaterRadio.com is the website. Hater underscore radio is the uh, Twitter and um, Instagram handle. And HaterRadio1 at gmail.com is the email. You can contact us anytime. We'll be glad to talk to you about whatever college football needs you have. As of now, this will be continued until next year. And I'm glad to be doing it. So... This is me signing off for the final time for the season. Um, It's been fun, uh, and I look forward to next year. You know, Gators should be really good, and uh, I will talk to you all later.